Welcome to the Coffee Rhetoric Podcast. I'm Tiffany, creator and writer of the Coffee Rhetoric blog. And well, I'm back. And I'm back before the end of 2020. Look at that, right? <laughs> because before it only took me two years uh, to uh, record a new episode, but I'm back. And per usual, quite a bit has been unfolding in current events. And you know, current events move pretty fast. Um, I'm not sure if any of you have been watching the 2020 Democratic debates closely. Um, personally, I haven't been following this election year. Um, however, I do plan on voting. Um, but the state of politics has been uh, an absolute nightmarish circus these past three years. And quite frankly, I'm tired. Um, while I was very engrossed in the early stages of the pre-trial impeachment bullshit, I eventually um, even got tired of that. And I just really couldn't muster enough energy to care about the 2020 Democratic debates, particularly once I saw how crowded the list of candidates was. But now we're down to two candidates. I had my favorite, the operative word being had. I'm going to keep that close to my vest, but um, I really haven't been watching the debates. Um, I've just been watching news clips here and there online and following the news and reading transcripts. Um, but yeah, we're down to two Democratic candidates. Um, I just really... <laughs> don't know what more to say about that because like I said I had my favorite candidate candidates actually plural but um yeah but they're no longer in the race which is unfortunate but anyway whatever um I haven't been watching I honestly just want to get this over with already and um <laughs> try as I might I'm not really feeling very hopeful this election season I want to be hopeful but um, whatever, I, I'm trying my best to be hopeful. Um, I just want us to um, get the orange menace out of the White House and send him back to Mar-a-Lago or prison or wherever he belongs. Um, it's hard to feel hopeful when there's so much fuck shit going on, but whatever, I'm going to vote how I'm going to vote to, uh, for the better <laughs> of our current situation and, um, just work with what we have. So <laughs> on that note, moving on, um, yeah, let's get into some pop culture stuff. Um, I've been following, you know, I'm a pop culture junkie. Um, I follow a lot of pop culture and celebrity news. And I've kind of been following this stuff with Lonnie Love and Tamar Braxton uh, closely. So let's talk about how the conflict between Lonnie Love and Tamar Braxton and all this bullshit with... Um, the real got resurrected after Tamar Braxton got fired several years ago. Um, 
so the conflict between Lonnie Love and Tamar Braxton and the real and um, how quite frankly ridiculous it all has been. First and foremost, Tamar Braxton was fired from the real in 2016. Okay, that's what um, almost four and a half, five years ago, give or take four years ago. Um, and quite honestly, Tamar Braxton spent an entire year blaming everyone but the folks with the actual power to fire her. Um, she and her rabbit fan base indicted um, Tamar's former co-hosts for conspiring against her to get her fired. Um, she claimed um, they've all been claiming how the show sucks without her destruction what I feel is, was her distracting presence. Because let's be honest, love the show or hate it, The Real has received several daytime Emmy nominations and they won one, they won one, and um, they've won uh, an NAACP Image Award since Tamar's departure from the show. So uh, quite honestly, it can't suck all that bad since it's still on. I mean, I personally don't watch it. I really can't get into daytime talk shows. I actually, I don't even like late night talk shows to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, I'll watch clips on YouTube or whatever, but a daytime talk shows and uh, late night talk shows are just kind of not my thing. However, um, so let's get back into it. So then Tamar and her fans, um, after she got fired, they started targeting her former co-host, Lonnie Love, calling her names. They were threatening her. They were making all sorts of wild accusations. Um, and I know when initially after Tamar got fired, um, they gave Lonnie Love so much static because they were convinced that she was the reason Tamar got fired. Um, they were convinced that she conspired to get Tamar fired. Um, when Tamar got fired uh, back in 2016, um, they gave Lonnie Love so much static, she had to temporarily make her IG private. Um, and this is all notwithstanding the fact that Tamar has consistently, consistently displayed problematic, problematic and irascible behaviors, not only on social media, but across the reality TV landscape. Okay. Um, she was even the center of conflict between herself and her sisters on her family's reality TV show, Braxton Family Values. And then she got into a conflict with, with Iyanla Van Zant, who I guess she was uh, brought in as a mediator to help resolve whatever family conflict they were having. Um, so now here it is, 2020, and folks are still blaming Lonnie Love for Tamar being gone several years later and Lonnie Love is still finding herself in a position where she has to defend herself it's almost it's basically <laughs> this past year um in last year it's kind of been like open season on Lonnie Love and it seems as if she's constantly um finding herself she Lonnie Love is constantly finding herself in a position where she's needing to apologize for something she essentially is not responsible for and where she's trying to 
uh, somehow appeal to Tamar to let her know, hey girl, you still belong even though you're no longer employed here and you've been, you and your fans have been dragging me on social media since about <laughs> 2016. So anyway, some weeks ago, some comic named Cookie Hall um, who is reportedly a former friend of Lonnie's, has come out of the woodwork claiming Lonnie wanted Tamar gone for, from the show because Lonnie wanted to be the only quote-unquote ghetto personality on the panel. No lie. And um, now also a former hairstylist, who was on the show, um, I'm assuming she worked with Lonnie. Um, she's also claiming that she witnessed Lonnie complaining about Tamar's presence on the show. Lit. Girl, bye. Where were y'all in 2016 when Tamar got fired? Now you all want to come out in 2020 resurrecting this nonsense, this old, tired news. So, um, and also listen. Even if Lonnie was complaining about Tamar, who who cares? Who gives a damn? We've all complained about problematic and or annoying co-workers who brought down workplace morale or who created toxic work environments or who just f fucking got on our nerves for whatever reason. We've all done it. So even if Lonnie Loves Love was talking trash about Tamar, who cares? Who cares? She still doesn't have the authority to fire or to get people fired from that show. You know, all the complaining in the world still doesn't mean Lonnie had or has the power to get any of her co-workers fired. The powers that be made that decision for whatever reason. And, you know, uh, not for nothing, but the rumors were at the time that Tamar was also having conflict with producers and uh, other technical folks backstage and um she wasn't jibing well with sponsors I don't know though those were the rumors and I suspect Lonnie had zero to do with it we talk shit about annoying co-workers all the time it happens so who cares if Lonnie said all that about Tamar who gives a shit I'm still trying to figure out why these people are coming out of the woodwork in 2020. Where were you in 2016? Tamar has been gone from the show for years now. Let it go. And some of you, let's keep it real because I've been listening. A lot of you people with your online commentaries, you will find any fucking excuse to perpetuate colorism and fat phobia and use, and use it to play armchair psychologists. You do, because I've been watching a lot of uh, the commentary on this nonsense, and you all can't, you all love to um, accuse Lonnie Love of having internalized um, anti-blackness, and she might, she might, who knows, but a lot of you all do too, because you all cannot talk about, seem to uh, discuss Lonnie Love or critique Lonnie Love without bringing up her uh, skin complexion or her weight. I see you. I've watched several vlogs by other black folks suggesting that Lonnie Love 
is somehow seething with jealousy for Tamar because Alani is quote unquote fat and dark skinned and unpopular. I've seen and heard you all saying this online. Really? And see, Lonnie mentioned being cognizant of being the largest and darkest woman among her co-hosts and, and how she um, tempers how she speaks so that she doesn't come off as an angry black woman because she's very aware of how viewers um, will weaponize her size and her complexion against her if she gets too out of pocket for them, for their, for their uh, liking. And like clockwork, you miserable, self-loathing, so-and-sos could not wait to mention something about Lonnie being fat and dark-skinned and, uh, and how she's about to gun for Amanda Seals, who replaced Tamar um, recently. She uh, got to get, because, you know, uh, for a little while they um, were having um, other celebrity guests um, step in as fourth. I don't know how many of them are, but they were, uh, is it, let's see, fifth? Lonnie Love, Jeannie Mai, uh, the Tamara sister. And yeah, so the, for a time since Tamar's departure, they had, you know, on and off, they had had celebrity um, co-hosts uh, kind of serving as the fifth kind of uh, special guest host on and off. And then they finally found recently, um, just this year, found um, a fifth person to permanently uh, become the fifth co-host um, and replace the spot Tamar had vacated. And it's uh, Amanda Seals. So now you all are saying, oh, Tamar, uh, oh, Lonnie loves, she's, oh, she's jealous of Tamar. Oh, she's so jealous because she's fat and dark skinned. <coughs> Pardon me. Because she's fat and dark skinned and this and that and the third. And all oh, she's going to do uh, to Amanda Seals what she did to, to Tamar. And, you know, I personally feel like Tamar has no reason. And you all are all like, oh, she she owes Tamar an apology and Tamar should feel vindicated. You know the fuck she doesn't. She doesn't need to apologize for anything anymore. And I personally feel like Tamar has no reason to feel vindicated and that Lonnie Love has nothing. She has nothing to apologize for. Tamar's and y'all's grievance should be with the folks that have the authority to fire Tamar. That's it. And these last and these two also rans coming out of the woodwork years later to speak out against Lonnie are late. Bye bye. Tamar doesn't. And to be quite honest, she doesn't seem fit for daytime t for a daytime TV platform um, that features other opinionated women. She doesn't. Um, she can't seem to get on with anybody she she works with on TV. Um Unless you forget, um, and, and I think it was in the early 2010s, maybe 2012, 2013, remember Tamar um, was a co-host on um, Tamika Coddles uh, from Escape, Tamika Tiny. We all know her as quote-unquote Tiny, but Tamika Coddle had a late-night talk show on VH1 called Tiny Tonight. Remember that? in the early 2010s and remember how Tamar clashed with Claudia Jordan then that beef spilt over on social media as well because Tamar shamed Claudia Jordan on air for not being married remember that 
have we forgotten about that? Whose fault was that? And how, um, uh, uh, let's see. And so she clashed with Claudia Jordan and then, you know, she, she was eventually placed with Tammy Roman. And then after her departure, remember how an employee got up on Twitter and tweeted to Claudia Jordan, how much more peaceful the set was <laughs> since Tamar left or since she was, she had been replaced. So who on that talk show panel was jealous of Tamar or out to get Tamar? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Um, so, you know, um, my thoughts on the situation, sometimes folks just create toxic work environments. Higher-ups get tired. That's it. Leave Lonnie Love alone. <laughs> um, and also, actually, speaking of Amanda Seals, you know, as annoying as she acts on social media, I honestly, I do. I think that she's a really good, good addition to the panel and that she's much needed because I just feel like a show called The Real can only um skirt by so far for so long with four women of color hosts who don't seem to have the range to talk about or unpack social issues with any nuance like uh social issues like racism and things of that nature you know at some point it's time to actually you got to get real. <laughs> and, um, you know, like I said, despite Amanda Seals' uh, social media shenanigans, um, she's definitely qualified to challenge her co-hosts, to challenge them, to take them out of their comfort zones, and um, to challenge them to get, get, you're called The Real. The show's called The Real. So I feel like she's a good fit and she she's the one who can challenge them to actually get real and truly discuss social issues um, like racism, like I mentioned before. And that's just that on that. So um, other than that, just leave Lonnie Love alone because y'all are always uh, looking for reason, it seems, uh, to drag an unambiguously black woman that's in the public eye for what it's like this sick, twisted game of ping pong. You're like a ping pong misogynoir. You bounce from Oprah Winfrey to Gail King to Lonnie Love and now to Megan the Stallion. It's like ping pong ball. But it seems like y'all are always looking for a reason to drag a black woman. Um, and like for the most part, it's mostly been like Oprah and Gail and now it's Lonnie Love. Um, now y'all are fake outraged because Lonnie, granted she she discussed, she was a little awkward with how she discussed it. Yes, but the woman talked about um, growing up experiencing food insecurity and how food insecurity, it is a thing in some, uh, black communities and in some communities of color. It is a thing. Um, no, not every black person grew up experiencing food insecurity, but the woman discussed her experiences, um, with food insecurity and how and and the reasons why she's become a sponsor for Weight Watchers whatever and y'all drag her for that oh well she's oh she's anti-black she's this she's just leave the fucking woman alone damn <laughs> anyway um what else has been going on uh oh so 
I recently read in the news during the month of Black History <laughs> that apparently um, a 52-year-old Black man from Iowa named Robert Noy was charged with harassment and false imprisonment because he forced what I'm assuming is a white woman to sit with him and watch the episodic miniseries Roots. Yes. <laughs> now, I don't know if dude forced her to watch the 1977 version and the 1979 and 1988 sequels, or if he forced her to watch the 2016 remake. But either way, um, if you've read Alex Haley's book, which this series Roots is adapted from, uh, you know it, the book, is it's a big book. And the series Roots, it, it's a... It's a lot of series. It's a lot of story. It's a, it's like this sprawling look at Africans who were sold into chattel slavery, in case you haven't read it, in America. And, you know, um, they go kind of from the Rudy to the Tootie. The, it starts from Gambia in the 1700s with Kunta Kente and Benta, and it, and it kind of goes from there. So it's a lot of story. I mean, the book is over 700 pages long, the book itself. That's why when they adapted it into a, a miniseries, it took multiple parts to tell the story. Either way, I don't know. I don't know what the woman did to have old dude go all drop squad on her or how, you know, they're even, how they're, how they were even acquainted with each other. But, um... She was probably sitting there for a minute under duress watching <laughs> the roots. And, um, you know, the victim, the woman who was forced to watch, watch who the guy forced to watch. She um, told the police that um, Noy threatened to kill her and spread her body parts along the interstate if she moved or tried to leave. And he said he forced, she said he said that he forced her to watch Roots so she could better understand her racism. That's what they were saying in the news reports about this really strange incident. And, you know, if you look this up and if you look at the man's mugshot, he's grinning from ear to ear in his mugshot. Like, yeah, I did that. And, you know, honestly, I don't really know how to unpack this situation. I really don't. I honestly don't think I've ever been this fervent about trying to convince racist white folks to understand me and to recognize my humanity as a black woman. You know, honestly, I just would rather they stop running for political office. 
you don't like my black ass, stop doing that. I'm going to need them to stay the hell out of my personal space. <laughs> you know, um, just don't say a damn, damn thing to me or mine. Go be racist in whatever hovel you live in and stay away from me. That's all I ever ask because I don't think I've ever needed white validation that bad to force someone to try to understand not be racist like I'm going to sit here and threaten you and threaten to dismember your body and spread it over the uh Chicago interstate if you don't sit here and watch Roots or or whatever the color purple or uh whatever um movie um so that you can understand, I because quite frankly, I just really don't care. All I ever ask racists to do, anybody that's anti, but just stay away from me. Keep it over there where you're at. That's all I ever ask. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> um, white approvals just really not that important to me because I don't perform for or exist under the white gaze or any gaze you know I removed myself from the various oppressive judgmental gazes years ago um white gaze male gaze, whatever whatever gazes um I just really it's not that dire to me and uh, honestly it never has been um and let's I just don't think Kunta Kente or Belle or Kizzy I don't think they would have wanted it this way. So anyway, on that note, uh, let's take a quick break. Welcome back to the Coffee Rhetoric Podcast. I am your intrepid host, Tiffany. Um, I don't know what else has been going on in the news. Um, well, <laughs> you know, I haven't really, I think I, like I mentioned before, um, I haven't really been paying attention to the debates and things of that nature um, and the presidential uh, debates. I've been following the news, but I haven't really been watching the debates and stuff. Um, but I've been watching clips here and there and uh, just reading what's what in the news just to at stay abreast while not following as closely as um, I maybe did in the past, but still trying to stay abreast to see what's going on so I can be informed. And you guys, um, as far as the Democratic nominees go, Elizabeth Warren has dropped out. Bummer. And only two Democratic candidates remain. Um, that it's a bummer. And uh, so now we get to pick and choose from Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And now people are kind of in their feelings because I guess Elizabeth Warren 
made an appearance on Saturday Night Live and um, people are pressed because she hasn't officially come out in support of either um, Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders supporters are all in their feelings and they're saying, oh, well, she's whack and she should do this. She needs to come out and support him. She don't got to do shit. (laughs) Elizabeth Warren doesn't owe Bernie Sanders a fucking endorsement. She doesn't. She doesn't. So whether or not she is, whether or not she comes out in support of either of the two uh, old white men who are left, because let's be real, I you know, we always knew it was going to be two rich white men who would be the... Um, last two standing. Um, nobody wants a woman for president. And after, um, Obama, you know, they damn sure are not going to allow another black man to run the country, no matter how competent he is. Um, so yeah. So, uh, whether she endorses either of the two last remaining Democratic candidates remains to be seen, but she doesn't, she doesn't owe Bernie Sanders an endorsement. And that's just that on that. What I do think is interesting, um, I was uh, following the news with this stuff between Public Enemy, remember uh, that rap group, how um, uh, they officially officially, uh, fired Flavor Flav, uh, hype man extraordinaire. Flavor Flav! Sorry, I just had to get that out. But Chuck D and Public Enemy officially fired Flavor Flav because he did not appreciate uh, Chuck D and the group uh, performing at a Bernie Sanders event. I'm guessing he's not a fan of Bernie Sanders. Um didn't Flavor Flav at one point shortly after uh he got elected to office didn't he at one point stump for Trump or some bullshit he he said he said something in support of Trump but anyway I guess Flav uh did not I don't know if he tried to send a cease and desist or if he tried to take some kind of legal action I don't remember but I do know there is some conflict because public enemy performed at a Bernie Sanders event and he got he was very publicly um not cool with that and so um he got he was officially fired from public enemy um I'm sure they can find another hype man elsewhere and let's be real, I think Flavor Flav and Public Enemy, or at least Flavor Flav and Chuck D, they've been beefing with each other and at each other's throat for a hot minute. So this is not um, anything new. I'm guessing this was a straw that broke the camel's back. But what I will say is all the shucking and jiving Flavor Flav has been doing over the years with the reality show and the shit with Brigitte Nielsen and then him stumping for Trump. I, I'm just going to say this and leave it alone. I do think it's interesting how him uh, coming out against Bernie Sanders. I do think it's interesting that that's the straw 
that broke the camel's back. That was the last straw, especially when you consider all of the other kind of clownish, humiliating stuff he's been doing to remain in the public eye and bring down the integrity of Public Enemy's brand that him coming out against some old rich white man is was what the last straw was. That's interesting. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I wanted to, I'll leave it at that. But anyway, um, another thing that's been a hot topic is um, rapper Megan the Stallion. Um, she's having some conflict with her record label. And it's funny how, um, you know, people just kind of just fucking hate women because, you know, she's been having some conflict with her record company. I guess she wanted to renegotiate and it's an indie label, um, 1501 Entertainment. And I guess, you know, um, Megan the Stallion is signed <clears throat> to this indie record label, 1501 Entertainment, which I guess co-owned at least. Uh, at least co-owned by some profession, some athlete. I think he's a professional baseball player um, named Carl Crawford. Um, who knows fuck all about the record industry, but you know he started this label, and Megan The Stallion is their cash cow. She is. She's their cash cow. She's their meal ticket. She's the one making them money. And, you know, shortly after she's, Megan Thee Stallion has been, she's been, uh, she, she's been kind of grinding for a hot minute. And, um, so shortly after she was signed, um, her mother passed away and all that. But anyway, I'm not going to get into all that, but, um, there's just is all this stuff going on with Megan Thee Stallion and her record label, 1501 Entertainment. So as um, Megan Thee Stallion's uh, star rose, she caught the eye, and she's from Texas, she caught the eye of Jay-Z's Rock Nation um, Corporation. Because let's be real, that's what it is. I was going to say label, but that's a fucking corporation. But she caught the eye of Rock Label. And as her star rose, she signed, um, she, Rock Nation signed on as her management. That's a huge deal because when you've got that kind of uh, power behind you, it it can open the doors for other opportunities. So she signed to this indie label, uh as this indie record label, but Rock Nation is managing her career. So I guess I'm assuming now that she's got um, Rock Nation money and brass behind her, I'm assuming some people at Rock Nation finally sat down and looked over her record contract with 1501 Entertainment and probably figured you're not getting all you can get out of this deal you're kind of getting the short end of the stick so I guess they prompted Megan the Stallion uh to go back to her record label to renegotiate the terms of her contract and then all hell broke loose um they were trying to uh stop her from releasing new music all kinds of stuff and so I guess she went and got temporary restraining order against her record label and she was able to that would allow her to release her EP um her latest EP on time as scheduled it's just a lot going on I don't I think that she sue them I don't know what all is going on but um 
another person who's um bought into the record label is a reported street dude some kind of notorious kind of suge knight type person in uh who's infamous in the texas houston texas area um jay prince everybody's weighing in but my whole thing is the thing that irritates me the most about this is all of a sudden um everybody is hopping on twitter uh twitter like they graduated from a twitter law school because all of a sudden people don't even know uh don't even read the fine print on these third-party apps and don't even read their (laughs) employee handbooks or know what their what the labor laws are at their nine to five or they don't know what rights they have at their everyday job but suddenly they're hopping on social media presuming to think they can tell uh, Megan what's what. Oh, she's stupid. She's this. She's that. Oh, she's in college. She should have known better before she signed that deal and this, that, and a third. Whatever. I feel like it doesn't matter what kind of deal she has. Everybody's weighing in and they're saying, oh, well, actually her deal with her record label wasn't that bad and this, that, and a third. Um, but it did kind of seem like at the end of the day, good, bad, uh, middle ground, she still the record label still it seems like from what I read was getting the lion's share of of what was being made and I think she's like their sole act and she she is she is their meal ticket in their cash cow and nobody's questioning the fact that um Carl Crawford didn't have any doesn't have any experience um with the uh with the with uh oh god i just lost my train train of thought but nobody's questioning the fact that carl crawford um doesn't have any experience as a record label owner he doesn't know the business but everybody's questioning megan oh well she should have known what she was doing isn't she supposed to be a college girl this that and a third all of a sudden everybody's an armchair entertainment attorney at the end of the day it doesn't matter whether her deal quote-unquote wasn't that bad Let's stop acting like record labels and executives and the record industry hasn't historically preyed on um, musical acts, especially black um, black artists, especially young women, especially women. You know, you go as far back as the 40s and stuff. Record labels have been screwing their artists over for decades. So let's stop acting like record labels haven't always historically been shysty. Um so that they could uh, and screwing their artists out of money and royalties and and ownership of their masters. I mean, Taylor Swift has been going through the same shit um as well this past year so I just feel like you know um she has a right to try to stay one step ahead (laughs) of her label because they do record labels prey on hungry young artists who are hungry for success and who want to make it and who want to be able to make music and and be rich and earn make a living at what they love and and they prey on that um you know you one minute y'all cheering on mace remember the rapper mace how he called out 
uh, P. Diddy for uh, how he's done his artists in the past. Like y'all were just cheering him on when he called on P. Diddy. So now you all want to come down on Megan the Stallion and be like, oh, she's stupid. She's this, she's that. Um, like I said, like, and most of y'all don't even know what y'all job rights are at your fucking nine to five jobs, but you, you know, you presume to think you can condescend and, and tell Megan the Stallion what she should have been doing. Um, like you all have law degrees in entertainment law. I, I just look at it as, Hey, she's trying to stay one step ahead of the label and, and label politics. Um, she's got people behind her saying, you do realize you could be getting better. So that's what she's doing. That's what she did. That's what she's doing. And, you know, she's got the resources now to be able to do that. And again, look, research your um, uh, record label history. Record labels have historically shat all over artists and they've especially black artists. And then, you know, a lot of the especially now in the rap industry, a lot of uh, young rappers and shit, um, always get the raw end of the deal. That's why you don't hear from them again. You know, all of the our young artists and rappers I and singers I grew up listening to, you know, they have a couple of really um great hits from like the 90s and the early aughts and it's now it's like you don't fucking hear from them again. And then like a decade later you watch these kind of uh serial documentaries, what happened, uh where are they now kind of serial music documentaries and then you hear about Oh, well, they got screwed over by their record label. So it's like, let the chick do her thing. It, it seems like she's got um, a powerful machine behind her as far as her management team goes. But it's like, y'all are acting like record labels are innocent, <laughs> are, aren't dodgy <laughs> with how they uh, treat their artists. So, you know... That's just that on that. Um, that's my feeling on that. Y'all don't know what you're talking about. Let the girl do her. Oh, another thing I wanted to tell you all about. So y'all, <laughs> um, like I mentioned in my uh, last podcast episode, I told y'all I stay on YouTube. You know, at this point, I think I might watch YouTube videos from every sector um, <laughs> more than I stream movies or watch TV. I do. I stay on YouTube. And, you know, folks on that platform, they stay with the drama. It's addicting. It's absolutely addicting. And that's why I stay on there. And, you know, whether it's beauty influencers, mukbangers, celebrity gossip vloggers, swirling divesters and play play level up scammers, pan Africanist. Speaking with did y'all know Umar Johnson was reportedly homeless. Anyway, so whether it's spiritual <laughs> witchy channels or folks from what's known as the beef sector, you know, folks stay with the drama. And um I think the only sectors that are kind of relatively drama free or that has minimal <laughs> fuck shit are like the social commentary vloggers and, and the kind of like the myth, 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 mythology. <laughs> that was a kind of a 
got me tongue-tied a little bit but the mythology horror channels I love those um, I watch those a lot I love historical information about mythological figures and urban f legend figures and horror figures um, I love learning where all that story comes from so I watch a lot of those kinds of uh, YouTube channels so yeah I, I stay posted up down to the YouTube <laughs> and um, child apparently uh, one of the trending hot topics, well, at least on YouTube, um, apparently cisgender hetero women, no, well, not just hetero, I'll just say cisgender women are, um, up in arms about the LGBTQ, uh, folks using the term fish. <laughs> yes. And, um, a lot of the ire seems to be directed at social media personality, um, an entertainer, trans entertainer, T.S. Madison, who's in the public eye, right? And so, um, honestly, oh boy, like people can feel how they want to feel about the issues. Um, I know people do feel a way because there's like 11 D video. They made, people have made 11 videos about the issue, talking about fish, the term fish. And, you know, people have the right to feel how they want to feel. Um, and honestly, just because someone is LGBTQ, um, part of the LGBTQ community or is trans, it doesn't mean they're above reproach and not capable of being problematic. So that's not what I'm saying. But um, this is just my view on the situation. And to me, I just think the outrage is ridiculous. Um, I think it's a non-issue. First and foremost, anytime from what I've seen and have witnessed and experienced, um, anytime folks from the LGBTQ community, um, namely, I'll say, uh, gay men and trans women of color, um, have used that damn word fish. Um, aren't they talking to and among each other? They aren't talking to cis women. I've only ever, ever heard to them refer to one another as fish. They're not talking to us. Damn. And then when they are using the term fish, you know, they're usually, they're usually, they're usually saying it to one another as a compliment from my understanding. I've only ever heard them talking amongst one another, calling one another um, fish, a lingo that they're using within to one another in their own community, um, you know. And listen, I get that it seems to constantly be open season on cis black women and I get the whole misogynoir thing and, you know, folks from all walks of life, um, oppressed and not oppressed. They seem to think they have free reign to come for black women um, with impunity. However, um, I think, I think some cis women, um, some of the cis women who are so up in arms over the term, over a term that the LGBTQ community of color, uh, use amongst each other. Um, I just think they want to be outraged over some shit because they don't like, or they don't have any empathy or understanding for, or they don't feel the need to stand in solidarity with trans women. 
period. That's how I feel. I think that's where you just want to be angry because you don't like trans women. You don't feel any sense of solidarity with trans women. And okay, that's your right. You can feel how you want to feel, but you're trying to create an issue out of a non-fucking issue when nobody is even talking to you. Nobody's calling you fish. Nobody's talking to you. And, um, you know, I just feel like they're partaking in, they're partaking in shits and giggles amongst each other in their community. Just let me stress that again. So, you know, um, and it's ridiculous, the outrage I've been hearing in all these videos about, oh, you're calling women fish and that's derogatory. Nobody is, they're not talking to you. I've only ever heard them speaking using that lingo amongst one another in their community. And, um, you know, and I just feel like imagine if some cis women, imagine if some of us exerted this much energy unpacking and, and, and some of y'all exerted this much energy. I'm saying y'all because I'm always a working project. I'm always a work in progress, but I've unpacked a lot of bullshit over the years. But, um, but imagine if some cis women, um, I just feel like imagine if some of y'all exerted this much energy unpacking and kind of disavowing yourselves of the misogyny many of y'all internalize and happily uphold to placate and make excuses for toxic masculinity. And, and the egos of some of the emotionally abusive cis-hetero men y'all love to uphold. And that mean you no good. Imagine if you all took that energy to deal with that head on. And, you know, I just feel like um, let them use that word amongst each other the way they see fit because they aren't talking to us. And that's my feeling on the term fish leave them, you know, just stop. It's a non-issue. Nobody's calling women fish. Nobody's saying you're dipping your nose in the Kool-Aid and you don't know the flavor. You're kind of dipping your nose in other people's business when nobody is even talking to you. <laughs> anyway, on that note, thank you for listening to the Coffee Reddick Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to read some of my work at www.coffeerhetoric.com. Keep in mind that you can now access the Coffee Rhetoric Podcast on Anchor, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker, and every other place that hosts podcasting platforms. Now, don't be fishy. Share this episode with your loved ones, your hated ones, your side piece. Discuss it. Share. Share. And help me conquer the world. And, oh, and vote. Go out and vote. Until next time.